not much research looks at the experiences of people beyond the everyday pedestrian commuter. We don't think about families' experiences of the cities and they're generally not represented in urban planning studies and pedestrian studies or plans. What are the pedestrian experiences? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's very diverse. I spoke to a lot of mothers who would walk with their young kids. No, this one's a bit more dangerous. I did what I've called a walking sensory ethnography with families. So I not only interviewed them, but I went for walks with them. We'll get to go soon after this. And I also gave them GoPros and sound recorders to audio record and video record the walks that they went on. They were really interesting because it enabled me to have a, a bit more first-hand insight into how people would negotiate space. Pizza got your nose. So I remember walking um, home from school one day with a family, with a mum, and we're picking, I met, I met them at the school gate. So it was a mum, it was a, her daughter who was in kindergarten and their three-year-old. And so the three-year-old was in the pram and we were walking along a very busy street in Wollongong Crown Street. It's the main kind of old highway that runs along that area. And um, there's lots of passing cars. So despite, you know, there's a freeway that now kind of bypasses that main street, it's still a main thoroughfare. Um, and it's not a particularly nice environment, but that family doesn't live too far. It's probably about, for me or you, it, it, it would be a 10-minute walk. It took us about 25 minutes. Yeah, we can watch that. Watch because it. we stopped at every single light. Crossing on this one. And the cars had right-of-way. This was at, you know, three o'clock on a Friday afternoon. Um, so it's very, very busy on the road. It was also very busy on the footpaths, but the cars had right of way in that situation. They're zooming past. Um, there's lots of uneven footpaths as well. So the mum who's pushing a pram has a bit more to, to go as well. That's Dr. Susanna Clement, an early career researcher who recently completed her PhD at the University of Wollongong. And Wollongong, for our international listeners, is about 70 kilometres south of Sydney. Susanna's interested in the everyday experiences of family life in the city, and her research is located at the intersections of age, gender and mobility, and particularly how mums and kids navigate the city. I'm Dallas Rogers, and you're listening to City Road. Today we're talking about families and cities with two early career researchers. A little bit later in the episode, we'll talk to Dr Kate Rayner about high-density living and families. But first, Susanna, on walking down the street with your kids. I just recently finished my PhD at the University of Wollongong, um, with the Australian Centre of Cultural Environmental Research and the School of Geography and Sustainable Communities.
What does the city look like for a family today? Yeah, I think, you know, thinking about Sydney, for example, it's, or Wollongong, where I did my study, it's, it's a city where things are very spread out. Um, and that's the nature of Australian cities. There's, you know, they're dominated by urban sprawl. Um, the things you need to get to often aren't in a walkable distance and they're not very close. So you do need to have a car to get around. So there's been about 40% decline in parents walking their children to school since the 1970s. Almost half of primary school age children are now driven to school. And then what is considered to be a walkable distance in terms of how far you would walk your children to school is now less than 800 metres. So if you don't live 800 metres within a school, and most people don't, you know, it's going to be difficult for you to be able to walk your kid to school. Is there any evidence that walking home is more dangerous now? It's interesting because the road traffic accident um, statistics sort of are saying that, you know, kind of they're going down. You know, we're engineering our cities to be actually safer. But then there's a difference between what is safe and what is perceived as safe. And the big thing that's driving that is kind of like a, a fear of stranger danger, a fear of children getting taken or hit by cars, increased traffic. You know, we, we, can, we know that there is increased traffic. We see it and we experience it. And so people don't walk their kids to school, don't let their kids walk to school by themselves. They can't walk with them because people, um, the nature of the household has changed. You know, women go to work now as well. So it's like a dual income household. There's less time. And as, as a result, they actually perpetuate the problem. Families perpetuate the problem by jumping in the car and taking their kids to school, thus increasing the cars on the road, increasing that narrative of, you know, walking is potentially dangerous. If you don't see other families walking with their kids or you don't see other kids out, you know, you're less likely to be able to do it as well. And so I think that's what my research kind of targeted at. So it kind of, it looked at how cities are felt by people. So not just how they are designed, that's really important, but it's about how that design and how the discourses around walking and family life kind of interact. Susanna's been tagging along with mothers and their kids as they walk along the streets of Wollongong. She's interested in how walking is experienced by families with young children. For these families, a walkable street has been designed with families in mind. And this means there's opportunities to care for and play with your kids. And so walking, for a place to be felt as safe and good for walking, it enabled, meant that they needed to make a space for care. So, it, you know, mothering, walking, moving around with your child, your young child, it was linked to ideas around care. And cars really hindered this a lot of the time. So, you know, mothers would say that it's just a short walk, you know, to the shops or something with my young kid, but I'm always worried. I'm always really worried about, you know, them running off. And so it's easier to just strap them in the car, go and come back. Susanna suggests a walkable street, a street with spaces for care and play, is a street where pedestrians and cars are held in tension. And thinking about streets in this way forces us to think about the role of cars in our cities. But it also opens up new spaces for, well, being a family. So when I was thinking about care, it's not just about feeling safe, but care is about creating family through walking, creating a sense of family through asking, how was your day? Or being able to tell 
your parent, you know, the things that you learnt at school that day. Yeah. Or being able to ask questions about the world as you see things pass by. And it's quite interesting that, the, you know, that kind of lots of things I noticed was the really interesting conversations that would happen after school. You know, very important family time occurs along these journeys. So it's not just about getting home from school. It's actually about the things that they talk about along the way. I wonder if the sound of the city itself is part of the walking experience and if that played out in the data, noisy traffic, quiet streets. It definitely did. Thinking back to that example I was talking to you about, about walking home with the family from school, the one thing that I remember writing down at that point of time was that it was so noisy because there was just traffic zooming past constantly, there was people, you know, beeping their horns and it was actually quite hard to have a conversation and hear what people were saying, especially with you know, a bouncing five-year-old, a three-year-old in a pram. And so I noticed mum kept having to lean over to have a conversation and kind of hear what they were saying. We need to blot your nose. We'll get to go soon after this. No, this one's a bit more dangerous. And, you know, walking with um, parents, families with even younger children, so, you know, babies, babies who are, are new, um, sound was a really big thing that shaped the routes that they would take. I remember talking to lots of mums who were describing or reminiscing about when they were on maternity leave or one of the participants, one of the families I spoke to, the mum was on maternity leave. So she was walking every day as a way to get out of the house. So that was a really important way of self-care for her for exercise, really important, you know, to care for her baby and get them out into the fresh air as well. Um, But they would choose streets and routes that were quiet because otherwise baby doesn't sleep. And walking was a really good way that parent mums, in particular mums on maternity leave, would get their babies to sleep. Can we design our cities to be more family friendly? Yeah. Um, I guess what I would say to planners who are thinking, you know, how do we include families just make cities that are more inclusive for everyone. Do we need to change the narrative about the city? I think so. So for children, a child-friendly city, children have, um, like, they, they participate in urban life, they participate in decision-making, they, they can go places out, you know, potentially by themselves, so they have independent mobility. For parents, there's a bit of a, a, a tension between what parents might want with a kid and then what a kid might want when they're walking. Kids don't really want to be strapped in strollers or they don't want to be yelled at and they don't want to be told, stop running, stop jumping, because that is how they walk. So if we're thinking about what a pedestrian-friendly city for children is, it's actually something where there is space for them to not be strapped in or have their hands held all the time. You're listening to City Road on 2SER 107.3 FM in Sydney. I'm Dallas Rogers. That was Dr Susanna Clement, 
an early career researcher who recently completed her PhD at the University of Wollongong. And Susanna's been asking some serious questions about walking and family life in cities. But now we're leaving the street and heading inside. Well, we're heading inside and up into a high-density apartment building in Brisbane with Dr Kate Rayner. Kate is a postdoctoral research fellow at the University of Melbourne, and Kate's been researching high-density living and families. Children have always lived in apartments in cities. And it's interesting doing this research in the context of Brisbane because it probably has happened to a lesser extent in Brisbane. But when you look at Melbourne and Sydney, there's lots of children who have lived particularly in older apartments for years and years and years. And it's a really important aspect of our um, urban design and the way that people occupy cities. I am Dr Kate Raynor and I work at the University of Melbourne in the Transforming Housing Research Network and I do affordable housing research. I never started out with the intention of researching children in high-density developments. I was looking at urban consolidation broadly as part of my PhD. And then I just ended up having so many conversations with people about the notion of children and different housing forms and how low-density housing is better for kids and high-density housing is worse for kids that I was like, oh, wow, there's a whole paper in this. This is a really interesting topic. So it was kind of stumbled upon accidentally and has turned out to be really interesting. And this isn't just an issue in Australia. Up of 200 West 86th Street, there's a quaint 480-square-foot home. It currently belongs to a family of six. Astrid has two, Max has Hi, two. I'm Jen from Mom Cave. I live in a New York City one-bedroom apartment with my husband, our four-year-old, until recently two cats, and we have another on the way. My family all lives in the suburbs or the country, and they're always asking, how do you fit everything and a kid in a one-bedroom apartment? How does that work? The notion of raising a child in an apartment really came up in my research. And people told me, you know, apartments are really dangerous, high density is dangerous, there's all these sickos out there. Um, You know, it's just a horrible way to bring your children up. So that's very much alive and well. Um, Mostly they were talking about the physical danger, um, but then also this conversation about children, you know, should have space to take risks and run around and do things like that, and that has an emotional aspect to it too. I think the difference or the change that I'm interested in is this whole spate of new development that's happening built with an investor in mind um, and without any two or three bedroom apartments that is really kind of against children living in it. It's just not designed with children in mind. Kate's drawing out the tension here between the use value of a home, or how we live in and make home in a dwelling, and the exchange value of a home, or how we value a home as a commodity in a housing market. Kate's worried that new apartments are being designed and built for investors and capital gains, rather than families and family life. She's also concerned about the social inequalities that can get baked into this system of housing provision. You know, if mum is a marketing head and dad is an engineering lead, then sure, you can have kids in um, an apartment and you can afford three bedrooms and it's really, really fine. But if you're not that person, if you're not the latte sipping avocado on toast type, then that isn't a valid option for you. You can't afford to live in these apartments and you don't want to anyway. So there was a real kind of class divide 
um, socioeconomic narrative that came through both in the media and in conversations I had with people. As you can hear, part of Kate's research focused on the media narratives that sit around apartment dwelling use. The one I find the most interesting and I guess the most unsettling, and that's this argument that the increase and in delivery of studios and one-bedroom apartments is just a natural reflection of investor appetite. And this discussion that after the global financial crisis, when we had less access to capital, the only way that you could get these apartments to stack up was going to investors from China or Perth or Sydney or anywhere and um, getting their money to flow in. And the fact that a lot of these apartments then were developed with an investor product in mind, um, with a return on investment focus, and really no consideration of whether you whack your head on the range hood when you're cooking lunch or um, whether you have light coming into rooms and things like that. It really wasn't a concern. It was how do we hit $400,000 in Brisbane and how do we take out all of the other stuff that people don't care about when they're an investor? Um, And this argument that that's really okay, that's just a market cycle and that's what's going to happen. And I heard that from developers and planners. which I understand, but I think it has huge implications for the way that our cities are built if we're thinking about housing as a product rather than a home. But it wasn't all bad news. And the final one, which is, I guess, positive and exciting, is this notion of medium density housing. And I know that's something that we've been doing in Melbourne and Sydney for a lot longer, but in Brisbane, it's this like mind-boggling, really exciting, terrifying thing. Um, And this notion that medium density could be a really great place for your kids to leave home and move to um, when they're a little bit older. It could be a great place for older people to downsize to, um, or it could be a stepping stone. So your kids might go and buy an apartment, but once they're real people with real money, then they'll go buy a home. Um, So it's kind of a stepping stone product on the way to the nirvana of the detached home in Brisbane as well. So that was part of it. But the other part was that, in fact, yes, we could accept medium density because it has some good outcomes, but only in certain places. So how would we make high-rise and medium-density developments more Mm, kid-friendly? I think a key thing is that medium density aspect. I think it's far easier as a, as a proposal to suggest that children should be living in townhouses or in like four-story walk-ups and things like that with a bit more space. Of course, children can live in apartments, um, but I think it just becomes a bit trickier in that sense. And I think there's a lot of design aspects that we can consider, like putting um, larger apartments on the ground floor so that there's direct access out of the building onto the Um, areas outside of the buildings, Um, creating shared spaces where parents can kind of surveil their children but not be up in their faces, Um, creating extra storage space. That was a big thing that came out in a lot of the conversations I had. When you have children, you need more storage space. Um, And I think it really needs to be considered at the housing level because I had conversations with developers who say, yeah, 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 totally. We talk about design for children. Um, It's about being close to parks. It's about being close to public transport, things like that. But it didn't even come up in a conversation that you would think about the design for children at the scale of the unit rather than at the scale of the neighbourhood or the, the precinct. So perhaps good design is the answer, not the market. And this might work beyond the scale of the home. When you go to the next level, I think it's about thinking about children's independent mobility. Because a child can't drive a car, a child can't negotiate a really busy um, car intersection and things like that. So design elements that you put in that work for children design work for a whole bunch of other people. And I think the way that we change it is that we create a product or a home that works for these people. Um, for families with children, and um, and we start to acknowledge that that's a valid way that people live. 
That was Dr. Kate Rayner from the University of Melbourne. This is City Road on 2SCR 107.3 FM in Sydney. You can find more episodes at cityroadpod.org. I'm Dallas Rogers. See you next time.